I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, hello and welcome, or should I say welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast Brought to you this week by Beer 52, our, our friends, the citizens of everywhere, uh, with their new box. I mean, you, you can get a new free box of craft beer just by paying £5.95 postage, eight beers, a snack and some other stuff sent to your door. Jack Pitbrook, does that sound like the sort of thing you'd be interested in? It does. I am a big craft beer fan. You're a big craft beer fan? Uh, We've been drinking as recently. imagine. Uh, my favourite is Lagunitas IPA. Oh, you like Lagunitas, uh, do you? It's very strong. It is very, very strong. strong. It's like 6.2%. He's a strong man. Uh, I mean, are we, are we not sort of, you know, breaching the, 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 the protocol here by immediately going on talking about other beers that... Well, no, because the whole point about Beer 52 and, and why they're so great is that you get a, a huge range of beers, you know, so they okay. might, you know, when they do the American box, you might well get a Lagunitas IPA if it's from America, which I believe it is. If you're lucky. Yeah. I also uh, like uh, Coast to Coast, uh, Big Wave, Five Points Pale... Um, Are you a neck oil man? I love neck oil. Yeah, very excited to see that as part of Tottenham's partnership with Beavertown Brewery, which is based in Tottenham, uh, they have uh, neck oil and gamma ray on sale at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. They also have cans of it on offer in the press lounge. Uh, I haven't had any there yet. Only after I've the been, games, though, I've presumably. I've been so busy filing, but I might treat myself after uh, Tottenham West Ham week on Saturday. So those are the dulcet tones of, of Jack Pitbrook, uh, who is here, as ever, to uh, dissect the week's football. And also you heard Jonathan Liu, who is back from a holiday. More of a, it was a kind of a staycation, if you will. Uh, kind of. We're in North Norfolk, which is a three-hour train journey via Norwich. And you enjoy yourself? I had a great time. I did. Absolutely nothing. nothing. Yeah. Uh, lots of really nice beach walks. A lot of long lions reading um books and very little football what, to, book, what to books speak. did you read uh they had there was one in the airbnb actually called and i read it like 16 years ago when it came out it's called english passengers by matthew neal about uh, a bunch of crazy englishmen who uh, charter a ship and go off to tasmania in the, in the mid 19th century to try and find the original site of the garden of eden and uh, what they don't realize is that their ship is actually the ship they've chartered is actually a manx smuggling vessel on the run from british customs hilarity ensues well, I mean, it sounds thrilling, and, and I'm sure our readers, who are huge fans of, of craft beers, will also be uh, searching out that book. So It's so good. It's, it's really, Sorry, really good. It's a really stupid question. Is it a, is it a novel or is it a novel? Oh, no, it's, it's, it's a novel. Okay. And, and obviously, when they get to Tasmania, the kind of the, the Aboriginal population are getting slowly wiped out, and, and um, so they, they end up in the middle of that as well. Well, uh, that brings us neatly on to uh, the week's Champions League action because, uh, you know, seamless. They're, they're, yeah, you know, we were talking about great links, and, and that is as good as they get. Um, we're doing the podcast late this week because the Champions League action was so important. We thought it was kind of stupid to come in and preview it and then it would be out of date within 24 hours. So instead, everyone gets this huge, brilliant, free 
bonus episode on Thursday. Um, so I guess we should start from the beginning. So Tuesday night were the first two quarterfinals in the Champions League. They were Spurs against Man City at the new Tottenham Stadium. And the other one was... It's just a stadium. Liverpool versus Porto. Porto. So, you and I, Jack, had been to the new Spurs Stadium on the Wednesday before, so we'd already been. Johnny Lou, uh, you went to the Spurs Stadium for the first time. For this yeah, Champions first League time weekend. I've been. And you think it's just a stadium. Oh, it's, it's, it's absolutely just, you know, the way it kind of stands up. You know, it's clearly got sort of foundations that have, that have, that have dug into the ground that, that prevent it from, from falling down, mm-hmm. that sort of give it a sturdy base. The glass, you would think that the glass, you know, sort of it's arranged vertically, which is, is probably is probably not how you would put a sheet of glass if you wanted it to stand up. But there's clearly some sort of internal structure that keeps the glass sort of attached to the metal. Um, and in the, in the middle of the stadium, in the middle of the stadium, this is the thing, right? There's like a giant grass rectangle, which is just the right size to play football on oh they've customized it so it's the they've, yeah customized oh, okay. it they've got the, they've, they've painted the lines and everything and and um i w- one word fine yeah okay fine. and and do you i mean do they make people just sit on the floor to watch these games or oh god no right no? You, you, right they've, no, no, they've, they've thought about this they've, they've actually they've preempted your question ed and what what they when the people come in to watch the game they have like a little sort of fold out chair oh. but but that they fold out so to, to preserve space and you've got little sort of room to put your legs in and they this is the thing the further back you go the higher the seats get Excellent. well uh, wow they must have like 500 of these fold out chairs no 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 much more like thousands thousands and thousands and there's there's this one stand which is just chairs no sort of, no, no walls, none of this funny business. No walls, no railings. It's just chairs. Uh, honestly, you've got to see it to to see it. And that's, I guess, you know, probably why the ground was so overdue because they were putting all these touches in, like chairs and 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 the pitch and stuff. Can you imagine putting all those chairs in. They've, there's also they ought to be screwed in. Well, I I didn't realise until like really quite late on that first game, that Wednesday night, was the the there's for want of a better term, there's an enormous golden cock um, just kind of dangling cockerel, over the f- A cockerel. Yeah. A co- yeah. Like, the animal, the, the, the poultry. It's like over the field. Like it sticks out from the from the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've, you know, it's a nice touch, I guess, you know, a homage, if you will, to the uh, to the club's badge. But aside from the, the atmosphere and the lack of cheese room, what do you think of uh, Spurs' performance against Manchester City? Of course, they won 1-0. Um, they did quite well, but then just before that goal, I thought Man City were absolutely certain to score. Yeah, I mean, it's becoming a little bit of a cliche, I guess, with, with Spurs in, in Europe, certainly in, in the second half of this season. But it's the sort of game that they would have lost two or three seasons ago. We, we saw it against Dortmund, uh, both legs, actually. We saw it here again this week on, on, on Tuesday night, where they they got a really early blow uh, conceding the penalty and maybe a little bit of luck in, in the fact that the penalty was very poor. Um, but the way they kind of managed the game, they didn't just kind of rip into City with abandon, as you know, as they they might have done if they'd seen the way Liverpool played against them last season. They they managed the game really well. They didn't overcommit the fullbacks. Um, they sort of they they re- recycled the ball really well in midfield. And yeah, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to say that that wasn't a deserved win for them. Yeah, I think they probably deserved it more off the back of the first half performance than the second half performance. I thought first half, first half, I was really surprised by how good Spurs were. 
after the penalty, they were miles. They were the better team by miles. And I think that was probably the best like, they've played since. You know when they were really good around Christmas when they hammered Everton away from home. Uh, it was the it was definitely the most energy I've seen them play with since then. And yet there was that spell where it looked like City City were back in control basically from the from half time right through to Son's goal. Then when Son did score, even though it was against the run of play, so probably over the balance of the ninety minutes, Tottenham definitely created far more chances. Like Hugo Lloris hardly had anything to do apart from the penalty. Yeah, I, I think when Kane went off, it was about fifty-seven minutes when yeah. Harry Kane got injured, and I think for the period after that, maybe sort of fifteen, fifteen minutes, uh, you could you could kind of see Tottenham going, "Well, hang on, what do we do now?" Because clearly their game plan had been yeah, uh, and then you know they 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 came through in the last in the last ten fifteen minutes. It wasn't it wasn't like a sort of a big spell of pressure, um, but you know they were they had. They had a chance, and and it, it took a certain kind of composure for from Son to finish it. Those are kind of the margins that, that win those games. I, I think it was kind of damning on City that they didn't. It took them until Kane went off to start really playing their football properly. Mm. Um, in the first half, I can't really remember seeing a City side who kind of lacked this, lacked control and authority in the middle. They didn't. They didn't really take. They didn't really take the game in the way that you'd expect them to see them. Uh, a lot of the selection decisions misfired, right down to having Fernandinho and Gundogan as two holders next to each other. Uh, the midfield didn't really work at all. And it was weird, because afterwards, Pep Guardiola came out and did his his usual thing of saying, like, oh, I thought we played an incredible game. We were in control. Guys. Guys. We, are create, we conceded hardly any chances. We created a lot more than them. And I thought, wow, like, Really? And, and then it's like, oh, I, I'm a guy who, like, when we don't play well, I'm honest, and I say we don't play well. Which is not true. Um, and, yeah, it, it was nonsense. And then, actually, like, there was a far better analysis of the game from Gundogan, who was, I think, speaking to Sky Germany mm. uh, straight afterwards. And he said, like, we didn't, we reacted badly to Aguero missing the penalty. We didn't, we didn't keep hold of our structure. We didn't play with any personality. We, we didn't react well to adversity. And we've got to show better mentality. It was actually very similar in in tone and you know in, in kind of character to the two games they played against Liverpool in the league uh, that weren't sorry, were, City or, or City sorry yeah. that were not you know attacking open games that were actually really quite concussive and broken and cautious in, in many ways uh, there were there were periods where it did get really scrappy oh yeah, yeah some, very some, scrappy. some of the challenges and there was obviously time for stoppages and and, and things like that and. That's the the weird thing is that seemed to me like the sort of game that that Guardiola came out to play. That's that that's clearly the 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 thinking behind having Gundogan in there. He wanted Sterling and Mares to go up against Trippier and Rose because he, he he thought I don't know I don't know whether he thought that Tottenham would line up with a with a five, uh, but he thought that Trippier and Rose were were going to be the the weak links. But they got really really good support from Winks and Sissoko. I thought Sissoko might have been the best player on the pitch. Um, and Tottenham seemed to deal with that threat quite comfortably. Yeah, certainly. It, it, that's a really good comparison with the Liverpool 0-0 from the start of the season. Yeah. It was a lot like that in the sense that City had to weather the early pressure and then slowly got control. And were a missed penalty away. A penalty, yeah, a penalty yeah, yeah, was decisive, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, Yeah, I would also agree with you about Harry Winks, especially given that Winks isn't 100% fit at the moment. I know that he's had this... This is actually his first start for more than a month. He's had this hip injury, which I think is kind of to do with overwork. Which is you know similar complaint I think Ben Davis has had. Dyer's got a hip hip problem at the moment. I think a lot of those Spurs players are basically running on empty and have been for a while. But Winks was fantastic. 
I am surprised that no one's mentioned really um, a certain Korean forward who I know you guys watch a lot more Spurs than I do, um, but I've so I've, I've watched the last three or four games in a row now, and every time I watch Son, I just think he's he's absolutely he's, he's so much better than I thought he was when he when he first arrived. I kind of thought he was just like a a winger slash wide forward who would be a, a fringe player for them, but. I mean, the last couple of games I watched him, I just think he, he is their most dangerous player virtually all times. Yeah, he, he, he occupies defenders in, in, a, in, a, in a particular way because, because he, he can go inside or outside. Mm. He's one of the most two-footed players they have in, in the team. I quite and like he, him playing through the centre. Yeah, I like, I mean, and, and he's going to have to now that, um, that, that Kane's injured. Uh, but because he, because he can take a defender both ways and because he has that burst of speed and because he's a very good finisher from sort of the 12 to 18 yards kind of range. Uh, you, you do, he, he does kind of get, he earns that extra yard or two from, from, from defenders. And it, that, that gives Tottenham the sort of space that they, that they often need to, to construct attacks in the, in the penalty area. That, that, that makes yeah, sense. He does give them an extra, because he's, because he's quicker than Kane and better at running. I think he's more of a threat running in behind than Kane is. Given yeah, that Kane, increasingly Kane, uh, more and more and more, his instinct is to come short, try and get the ball to feet, turn, play a pass. Um, we, I mean, we talked about this a few pods ago about how his role's evolving. Whereas Sonny does give them like the more direct option, and I think, and to be honest, like during the spell when Son was fantastic, when Kane was injured last time back in January, Kane came back, Son stopped scoring, and I think his goal against Palace was Son's first goal alongside Kane for ages. Yeah, first his first since Kane had come back from. But I wouldn't. I mean, and it was like a huge deflection. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't be goal. like. I wouldn't be massively pessimistic about Spurs' like immediate short-term prospects in the absence of Kane just because Son is so good and because Son can be... like The team can still be really dangerous with Son and Senna Kane up front. So Poch thinks that he's going to be up for the season. Um, until we see evidence otherwise, I guess we just assume that he, he might miss the rest of the season. If they squeak past City, they're going to have to play one of the the real kind of top European sides and can you really can you really see them coming through a two-legged Champions League semi-final without Harry Kane I think they could definitely beat Ajax without Kane over two legs uh Juve without Kane over two legs I you wouldn't make them favorites but mm. I'd love to see them give it a go well, that's a, this is I mean if, if the link earlier on was absolutely atrocious this one is brilliant because you've just mentioned Ajax and Juve and that's the game that you were at last night in Amsterdam what do you th- so? What do you make of this those is just two? Like, this is like a, a masterclass, and they'll they'll play this in kind of radio broadcasts and podcast broadcasting classes, like how to link sort of podcast maybe, segments. Maybe the last twenty. Well, yeah, the the first minute of the podcast will be a how not to do it, and then the last twenty seconds will be how you probably should do it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's fine. That's fine. You've got to have both examples. Um, and Jack, sorry. Um, great game. Uh, I actually the better team. They controlled the first half but looked a little bit vulnerable on the break and eventually got done by Ronaldo in what you have to say was a fantastic counter-attacking goal from Ronaldo a move he started and finished with a sort of classic Ronaldo flying header but the second half Ajax came straight back in they scored I mean they, they had to score early and they did they scored like 30 seconds into the second half through Neres um, but then they controlled the rest of the game and they couldn't they 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 made a few half chances. They didn't really create as as many chances as you might like, but I think they had. Yeah, they were they were better than Juve. They deserved to win the game. I think they were fantastic to watch because they play like such a classically Ajax style of football. Like everyone, 
Everyone attacks. They basically only leave the two centre-backs back. Both full-backs go up. It's all about fast interchanges, very fluid, unpredictable, side-to-side. And Juve had to defend for their lives to stay in the game. I love how bold they are. I've, I've now seen them this season. They have, I've seen them outplay Bayern at the Allianz. You've seen them outplay Real Madrid, probably in both legs, yeah. if we're honest. And then they outplayed Juve in the first leg of this semi, uh, this quarterfinal. And it's like, this is a legitimately really exciting team. And it is a shame that obviously they're going to get broken up. And this is the last hurrah, if you will. Um, but something to like to savor while they're still around is, is this is a really, really well uh, well coached team as well as the obvious individual talent. Um, and you saw Frankie de Jong in the flesh. Yeah, so I'd never seen Frankie de Jong play in the flesh before. Uh, but he's amazing. Like he's really, really good. He you know write a column about him. <laughs> well, it's already been done. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I wrote a column about Frankie. But yeah, de Jong but, you, but your column about Frankie de Jong was about the fact that you hadn't seen him in the yeah, flesh. Yeah, that, but Jack that's has that's seen yeah. him in the flesh. No, no, yeah. So um, he's yeah. overqualified. He's really good at football. Like he can kind of do a bit of everything. So he he would come all the way back. He would basically play in between the centre backs, take the ball off Anana, the keeper, start all their moves. He's like he's an incredibly natural natural mover with the ball. Oh, that's how he glides. Like, he, yeah, yeah, he kind of, he skips past players without even trying. He never, I don't think I remember him looking like he was sprinting, but I'm sure he must have covered an awful lot of ground. Uh, he can beat players with just a sort of change of pace or change of direction. Uh, he's technically amazing. His touch is great. Lots of little flicks and sometimes, you know, the further, the more Ajax had the ball, the further, you know, he would progress further and further up the pitch and then he'd be leading the pressing, even though he's like nominally their most defensive line midfielder. Um, yeah, he was great. And he was also like, he was so good that you could tell like he would instantly be good in a, in a team even better than Ajax. Like there is no question. I mean, I hope, you yeah. know, I, it would be a great story if they went on to win the Champions League or if Holland won the Nations League or whatever. But I know that at Barca, he'll be just as good. Like he I, will instantly I, look I good. I love it when you see a teenage player like that and you immediately know the talent level is, is that high. As I was saying to you before the podcast, last time I had it was basically Mbappe at Monaco. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, wow, like that kid is, is the real deal and that's kind of what I get watching Frankie de Jong is there a bit of Mateus in him maybe maybe yeah like in terms of like the authority and mobility across the pitch like I can't really I didn't really have an instant read on who exactly he reminded me of but that might be a good one he's an incredibly technically gifted um, player who basically kind of occupies the entire centre of the field but the thing that I think is special about him essentially is, is he's not just a great passer of the ball. he kind of just glides and drifts past players and it's one of those things now that especially in kind of an era of pressing counter pressing or coming up against teams with low blocks you need to be able to beat people either with a great pass or just by running past them with the ball and he can do both someone who can do both is Thiago who's a player Tiar- yeah, like an, a player who's not he really was. had the career he should have had because he's done yeah. his knees a few times, but is probably like the most, I mean, he's obviously a few years older than De Jong, but probably like the most talented midfielder of his generation. Uh, I was at Bayern Dortmund last uh, Saturday and he was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. His set pieces, like the thing that kind of got on the radar, his set pieces are like absolutely perfect yeah. delivery. Perfect, perfect, perfect. But exactly that it's the way he kind of lets the ball roll across his body and he opens up the field yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's like small subtle movements of the shoulders and hips actually that quite often give away the talent of a midfield like that and I think Thiago is pretty good it's a pretty good comparison I can't think of too many better than that of kind of existing players I mean I think I mean if we're talking the most talented I'd, I'd say I'd have Pogba in there 
Pogba, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Pogba can Pogba can carry the ball and play the incisive pass. He is exactly that guy. The thing about Pogba is it seems that like sometimes like if he's not in quite the right role, it doesn't really work. It doesn't really happen for him. Yeah, and, um, and also I guess I think I'm the last remaining member of the Marco Verratti fan club. But no, that'd be ridiculous. Though. I mean, he, he's it's not it's not cool to like Verratti anymore. Verratti liking Verratti was like a, a real 20, 2012. You were a twenty twelve vibe, yeah, 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 type thing. Like, yeah, you liked him when he was at Brescia. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, should. I, w- I would. I would like to see him play in a proper league. It'd be, it'd be nice to see what, do you mean by, what do you mean by proper league, Jack? I mean like a league with more than one team in it. Oh, okay. Um, I, I was trying to I was trying to go into saying Farmers League, but uh, that, that's now the go-to insult for any football league, isn't it? That isn't the, the Premier League, essentially. Farmers League. Think about Farmers, farmers League. league. Is you know it's not a very good insult, insult because it doesn't really give you like the specificity of country. I when, when when I'm doing this kind of level of like obnoxious Mark Francois banter, uh, I prefer to like come up with a product that is associated with that country. So, for example, you call the yeah, French yeah. league like the Orangina League, for example. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, no, yeah. And, and that's that's a, t- a tip from the top on how to insult. Well, you can other call the Bundesliga league. the Curryverse League. Okay, right. that's a slip. That's a slippery yeah, slope, right. isn't it? Though, this is know. my like racist banter for the week. Um, you were talking about Pogba, which was the perfect opportunity uh, to oh, segue. Oh, 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 unfortunately, oh, so blew it. Oh, blew it again with the Orangina and the sausages. But um, uh, speaking of Orangina and sausages, Paul Pogba, uh, Man United, Barca. <laughs> what do you think last night? I mean, did, did you go? No, oh, oh Christ! Um, no, w- no, I, I did not go. Why not? Um, I went to watch it at the Hermit's Cave. Oh, very nice. Do you know that they're, they're, they're showing football in the Hermit's Cave now? They have Sky. Yeah, I only discovered this like a few weeks ago. I was so happy. Yeah, because the Hermit's Cave—it used to be my local in in Camberwell, and and Jack lives close by as well. And for the time I was living there, it was. It was kind of known as the pub that it didn't it didn't play music, didn't have a jukebox, didn't have a quiz machine, didn't do pub quizzes, didn't have any of this nonsense, didn't take cards, didn't have had a TV that, that was constantly showing BBC News twenty four, <laughs> and you know that's why we loved it. You could you could you know you could, you you'd could go get, there and watch the news. You'd go there and watch the news. Um, and and now slow, slowly they've added little accoutrements. They, they've kept the essential Hermit's Cave character, which is Campbellwell art students and old men. And uh, they've still got you know really good ales on on tap. But now they one by one they they started taking cards, which I, I thought was it was going to be the start of a slippery slope. But you know now they're showing the football, but still nobody's there. Nobody is there to watch the football, which is great. Yeah, that is really great. It's so cool being able to have it on in the background yeah. and without having, like, football pub idiots. So did you watch Man United Barca in the Hermit's Cave? Yeah, but there was somebody... There's somebody in front of me for the standing in front of me for the first half, and I was I was eating a kebab, so I couldn't really stand up and, and watch. So I didn't see much of the first half, although I did see the goal. Then I walked home and saw like the last forty minutes on uh, on the sofa. They let you take external food into the pub. Yeah, that's always that's always been the thing. Yeah, oh, you well, go I didn't to know that. you go to get get the falafel from the um from the Lebanese place across the road. You can even, you can probably even bring Van Hing in there. That this Van Hing is is Jack's favorite restaurant in the world. It's actually my fiance's favorite restaurant in the world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Vietnamese. And an FM manga, which is which is what, yeah, what that's I really did. good. Also, while we're on Camberwell restaurants, uh, Silk Road, the Silk, Chinese Silk Road Van Hing is fantastic. It's like it's it's a Chinese restaurant, but it's like I think it's northwestern. It's Xinjiang cuisine. Mm-hmm. It might even be the the, the, the Uyghur Muslim um, population, but it's all sort of big, hot, spicy broths filled with. They have, have something called the big plate chicken, which is a a place about about the size of that coffee table over there uh which is about three foot three foot across and it's a giant plate of really spicy broth 
with with loads of chicken, uh, gizzards and bones and all. And and about halfway through, they slip a gigantic um, slop of noodles in, and you just um, you just eat, eat out of it like a trough. Do you fancy not doing Arsenal Napoli and just why don't the two of us just go to, go to oh Silk Road? Oh my god, yeah, I was supposed to be going to Arsenal Napoli later. And and as good as the food is at Arsenal, you know, they don't do big plate chicken. They don't do big plate chicken. I might suggest it. And and I mean. And the skewers. Oh, my God, the lamb skewers. So I know, I know we've got a slightly sidetracked. I mean, good, good luck sort of segueing back was out anything, of this. But was anything quite as spicy as, as Arturo Vidal's challenge when he came <laughs> on? Uh, and he went two-footed on Scott McTominay, who actually had a very good game, McTominay. McSauce. Um, my main, McBroth. My main takeaway was that everyone's kind of given United a lot of credit for only losing 1-0 at home to Barcelona. Um, but surely... We just look at this and say, okay, they're 1-0 down from the home leg. They're going to the new camp. Probably going to lose 2-0 at the new camp. So, at their best, Manchester United are still like a team that could barely hold on to Barca. And actually, are a And not a very off. good Barca either. Not, I mean, Barcelona were not, um, from what I saw... Well, uh, the, the BT Sport commentator repeatedly said how like disappointing Barca have been. It's like, well, they've, they've kept United essentially at arm's length the entire game. Yeah, I mean... How much credit can you give United for, for, for example, keeping Messi quiet? You know the the the, the fraud, the giant fraud Messi. Uh, probably a little bit, but I think if Barcelona turn it on in the second leg, it, it could get ugly because United haven't really shown that. Certainly in the in. Sorry, so, so the uh, the interesting thing about you say about that, and and I kind of say this to people who think that Barcelona aren't, aren't impressive under Valverde. He is a more naturally cautious guy. He's not. Um, an ideologue in in the way that Guardiola, uh, Tito Villanova, and even you know, Luis Enrique were mm-hmm. they were far more likely to go for the full throttle, foot on the neck, kill him off. Valverde's not really like that. Like he would have been very happy with the one nil away from home, um, and was not going to you know throw. I think you can see that with the substitutions and and how he went about that sort of kind of adapting the team later on. So when you look at that result and it's like, oh, it was only 1-0, whatever, it's like, I think Valverde is always very happy with that, like he's not going to kick on. And, you, and if they are 1-0 up at the new Camp, I think other managers might have tried to ramp it up. I, I don't think he would do that, I think what Miguel would say, if he was here, is that at, at this level, in, in these kind of big Champions League games, because this was, this was the, you know, the year of comebacks, wasn't it? This is a season of comebacks. Um, if you go into... If you can control 150, 160 minutes of a tie, and because of the the quality, because of the, I guess, the pressure for want of a better word, because of the stakes, it is possible to to burgle two goals in the last five minutes, because that's just the na- that's kind of the nature of the competition these yeah. days. So whether Barcelona are going to regret, you know, not you know putting the foot on the throat as as, as you as you put it at, at Old Trafford, they might they might do because you know it's. It's it's not out of the realms of possibility for United to kind of tap into some earthen you know bloodline running from Bosby to Ferguson to Solskjaer or whatever and 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 suddenly well it's the, the spirit of something. Paris or the spirit of the new camp yeah. if you want to go back to ninety nine football's weird like that that's what know? they're looking for but the way I see it I, I the only way I can see Barcelona not winning this tie is if Valverde makes a mistake of starting Vidal and then Vidal gets himself sent off in the first half or something. Um, the game plan, I think, should be similar to what they did in Paris, which is 
playing on the counter, Lukaku kind of starting from that wide position and drifting, and then the pace of Rashford, the pace of Martial, potentially Lingard in there as well to try and get behind. That is the the strategy that's worked for them uh, since Solskjaer's come in. Uh, what do we think about the whole Solskjaer thing now that you know he he's got the permanent job and then results have kind of what was it that like you've lost four of the last five is it um, or haven't won not four of the last five things have gone a little bit south um, were they hasty Jack yes yeah I think they were um, I, it's all going a bit Ole Gunnar Di Matteo like he might you know he might win the Champions League you mean? yeah he could win the Champions League um, they probably won't but they could a cup competition. Yeah, you can always win a cup competition. Um, and your Spurs, and they could probably get fourth. Like they could easily get fourth. Yeah, um, but I don't know. Like, is he the best? Is is he the best manager on a medium term view for the richest club in the world? Is he like? like is there no one else? Like, we were. Um, if you rank all the managers in the Premier League by like what you might class as elite achievements, that is like achievements in the top. In you know, the top five leagues in Europe, let's say, um, and European Cup competitions, there is hardly anyone who has achieved less in those in those areas than he has. There's yeah, just... but I mean that in many ways was was the point of him. That that, that was the the reason that they went for Van Hal and, and Mourinho. Yeah. I know, and... I know, I know. Yeah, Zidane. Know. It was more of a Zidane hire. I mean, Zidane yeah. had not done anything as a coach before Real Madrid hired him. It's it's it didn't strike me. I, I know it was kind of surprising when when he got he first got the job, but now it. <laughs> Now it kind of smacks of, well, this is you know, we might as well try this. This is right, yeah. uh, let, let's see th- this idea worked with Zidane, it worked with Guardiola, it, it might work here. And I think the thing about United as, as, a, as a club, that and perhaps it's not surprising given their history that they are they have been traditionally and and still to this day are, are wedded to the idea of the, the manager as this this singular savior yeah. of you know going back you know through Busby through Ferguson. Um, even even Moyes was kind of um, anointed as this kind of this one man Scottish thunderstorm that was that was just going to you know carry on the work of, of Ferguson. And I think the modern football club doesn't work like that anymore. There's always a structure, there's, there's an apparatus, but for reasons of of, his, of history and, and the fact that it's always kind of worked for them in the past, that they're still kind of really attached to it, the idea that this, this one guy is going to sort of lift them out, out I of I completely it. agree. Apparently by September they will have this uh, technical director and that, that's um, what they're looking for apparently and there is a, supposedly a difference between technical director, sporting director, director of football. They want a technical director um, and hopefully that sort of, that hire will actually install some sort of s- structure into the club because that's one of the reasons you know, Ander Herrera has left the club is, is that he wasn't dealt with that well and and I think he's not the only one who, who has suffered that treatment and I think when you're dealing with potential explosive situations like Mino Raiola and whatever he's doing with Paul Popper right now and I don't I don't even understand where, what Raiola's trying to do but the amount of stuff coming out about him going to Real Madrid and the fact that he would be kind of up for a contract renewal around now makes me think Raiola's up to something and if that if, if that's what's happening you need to be really well equipped to deal with that sort of situation and at the moment it doesn't seem like a club that is yeah and if you, i mean it's always it's instructive to compare with arsenal just to show how i think arsenal basically had the right idea mm-hmm. which was that we can't just have the cold of the manager forever we need a structure mm-hmm. and yet the last like year or so of putting a structure together has been a nightmare 
Like they, well, they screwed up big time. I mean, they got in Mislintat, Mislintat, then they decided to create a technical director job, then Mis- then they didn't give it to Mislintat, so Mislintat left, and Gazidis has left. Mislintat now the technical director at Stuttgart, yeah, as of it's, today. It's kind of, I don't know that, it's like all over the place. And But I do think that United would be better served by going that direction. And by just appointing the best, you know, someone maybe someone like better than Emery as their as a cog in that machine. But I mean, yeah, it, 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 for a club of, of United size and wealth, this shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't right, be hard yeah. to make them really good. Have a structure and appoint like a really good coach. You don't need to, you know, you don't kind of need to overthink this. Well, yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of things like even the fact that Herrera's leaving for free, for me, is not what a smart club allows to happen. Juan Mata, is, his contract runs out at the end of this season. Now, I don't think clubs should ever get to the situation where, where players who have a market value let yeah. their contracts run out. Like that's, not, that's clearly a, not... You know, if you had renewed his contract a year and a half ago, whatever, for another season at, pick a number, 200 grand a week, if you'd done that, that would cost a club like 10 to 12 million a year, mm-hmm. but you can sell him for 25, 30. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, it, this is how you don't miss out on stuff. And I don't care how rich the club is. You, you know, the Man United can sh- for sure afford to lose Ander Herrera for yeah, free. Yeah, I mean, may- maybe United valued a year of Ander Herrera at about that much. Yeah, fine. But if you're going to be smart, you know, and, and basically you still need to find edges even if you're the richest club in the world and you still need to do things in the right way even if you're the biggest club in the world. And it just, at the moment, it strikes me that they're not. And because they've done so well in the Champions League this season, it's kind of going to slide by. But if they now miss out on the top four get knocked out by Barca and and Pogba tries to leave this summer, then United suddenly becomes this kind of like, whoa, what is going on at Old Trafford sort of club, right? Yeah, I mean, like, I would be so surprised if Solskjaer gets United where they want to be next season. I can't see them being anywhere near City and Liverpool. Um, and then they will have to make a decision, I think, at some point towards the end of next season, like whether or not this guy is actually right for us. I'm really looking forward to second season Solskjaer uh, which as a, as a yeah. non-United fan. The other day, do you think that the um, the it's Kim, going to be interesting? The Kimpembe, the the, that ludicrous Kimpembe VAR handball in Paris is basically the worst thing that ever happened to United. Yeah, if, I think, if I that, think it might be. If, yeah, well, if that handball hadn't happened, then they you know they would have got knocked out, and then they said, you know what, maybe if we can't, even if we can't get Pochettino, maybe let's let's try again. Solskjaer was the right guy at the right time. Is uh, he's Mister Right now, but maybe not Mister Right. Uh, but unfortunately, the Kimpembe handball happened, and now they're they're stuck with Solskjaer. I said it on the podcast, like after that one is, you know, every, you kind of got all the credit for the comeback, but he was also in charge for the first leg when they were losing. Mm. You know, it's like, uh, do you reward someone excessively? Like, you know, if you ring me and be like, I know I'm supposed to send you four pieces to write today, but I actually haven't started, and then at seven, like at seven p.m. and then at eight p.m. you send all four of them, like. Christ, I got out of that hole. I don't promote you for that. I'm like, no, probably not. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm like, I'm like, fair play on doing what you're supposed to do in the first place, and and, and well done, for, well yeah. done for achieving. But it just doesn't, you know. It was, it was like an emotion. It was an emotional overreaction, and it's like again, you're running the club on o- yeah. emotional overreactions rather than like sane policy yeah. at this point. Like, I'm not taking the piss here. Ralph Hasenhutl is a better manager than Solskjaer. Like, yeah, that's absolutely he's, right. Like he's he's better in every way. He's succeeded in every job he's ever had, unlike Solskjaer. He has finished second in the Bundesliga, which shows he can cut it at the top level, which Solskjaer hasn't proven. He's got a very clear idea about how he wants the game to be played and coaches that way. It, I mean, it remains to be seen whether Solskjaer can really coach these players into any kind of consistent improvement. 
But he's the kind of man who, you know, all Southampton have done is what they used to do, which is go and do some homework, mm. find out who the best manager they, they can appoint is and appoint him. Whereas United seem kind of resistant to, do, to, to putting in that hard work. Because how many, how many people of influence are actually in there making the decision? It, it really is just... just Woody. It's Woody, isn't it? Yeah. I was talking to someone who works for a, a firm that... Uh, works with clubs on, on identifying targets just in, not just in um, players but coaches as well and they said that they had given a list to three different clubs Premier League clubs over the last like seven or eight months and Hassan Hull appeared on every single one because he was clearly one of the obvious guys in European football who it's like well if you look at his back record it's overperformed his budget here overperformed yeah. his budget here overperformed his budget here and that's kind of all you're looking for in a in a coach these days you need someone who can make your club perform like a club that's much richer than it actually is because mm. increasingly you know the correlation between your your revenue and the league position is getting stronger and stronger isn't it totally yeah and this doesn't preclude the fact that he may still win the Champions League right and, totally, get, yeah. and get them fourth that doesn't that doesn't make him a better manager no, no, and it doesn't stop us cutting off the bit where no, Southampton no. get relegated, Man United win the Champions League, and then I get that clip of Jack saying that Hassan Hüttel's a better manager than Solskjaer, and, and we put it out on our, all of our social channels. Yeah, viral. Yeah. But the good thing is... Um, there Passed is, over for promotion, and then that. Yeah, yeah, for those four pieces blow. as well. Yeah. There is a chance, there is a chance, obviously, that United go through still. Liverpool-Porto, uh, neither of you watch, presumably. No. Um, and because you were at Tottenham Man City, and I was also watching Tottenham Man City. So uh, Liverpool two 0 up, which is uh, you know positive for them, I guess. Uh, and they head to Porto with a, a solid lead. I expect them to go through. So Liverpool for the second year running, probably in the Champions League semi-finals. And then we don't know who the other three are going to be. Um, if you join us next week, you should know. So do you want to do a podcast on Monday, or should we just do one on Thursday, or should we do both next week? I'm I'm in Barcelona, so me and Miguel are flying to Barcelona on Monday morning. Right. I'm flying to Turin on Monday morning. Okay, so it sounds like we will do a podcast next Thursday rather than next Monday. This could Monday. be, I mean, I, I'd quite, I quite like this idea of doing it on Thursday, because yeah. no, obviously nobody cares about the Europa League, so there's no, there's no question of it being relevant about, you know, being, you know, overtaken by events in the Europa uh, you can look back at the Champions League. You can, but then you know, assume we're going to be back on title race, so we need it to be back on Mondays. Um, because the title race is going to take over the world again after next week. Yeah. Because but you know, you can, always, you can always preview the title race rather than reviewing it. Well, you know, what we're going to do is uh, we'll play it's around. Probably a decision that shouldn't be made live on a podcast. Um, one, oh, sorry, I had a thought about the Champions League. Go on, have a, have a think. Have a, say it, yeah. Have, um, say your thoughts. We're in this weird situation, which is that the team... Like, I think the team who is likeliest to win, I think the best team left in the Champions League or the team likeliest to win it, if you were to rank all the teams by like their percentage chance of winning it, the likeliest team is the team who cares the least about it, and that's Liverpool. Liverpool are the only team who's definitely through to the next round. They've got either the rubbish Manchester United or the shaky Barcelona in the semi-finals. They are playing fantastically well. I forgot that's decided already, isn't it? And yet... They don't care because all they care about is the Premier League. And yet, we're, so we're going to be in this weird situation where Liverpool, Liverpool in their semi-finals will have the option of putting all their eggs in the, or putting a lot of their eggs in the Champions League basket and going through the Champions League final against a less good team from the other half of the draw and having the chance to avenge the final of last year and win a Champions League. They're sixth. Or, like, kill off those final remaining Premier League games in the, uh, like, they've got Huddersfield at home and... Cardiff away and a few others like around late April which could set up them winning the title and it's 
I mean, it's a it's I, it's an amazing position for a team to be in. Meanwhile, so, Guardiola, who's kind of obsessed over the Champions League, is he's going to win an FA Cup and nothing else. Liverpool are going to win the Premier League and the Champions and a, League. And a League Cup, League League Cup and FA Cup double. The the, the Arsenal ninety three. Oh yeah, okay, fair enough. I'll give him that. Um, do you have any other footballing thoughts that you'd like to get out there today? Um, What's re- the rest of the Premier League, rest of the Champions oh, League. We should talk about Liverpool Chelsea. Oh yeah, we should. Yeah, go on then, hit me. Uh, Miguel, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna scoop him here. Miguel is writing a piece about the Chelsea Liverpool game from 2014, which is really really good. I've seen bits of it. It's gonna be fantastic. That will presumably be online on Friday. Yeah, I, I mean, hope so. Well, get I mean, on with it, Miguel. He needs to send it to me tonight, uh, and then we'll have it Friday morning so everyone can commute to work and and read it. Obviously, Do- that that's the that's the spectre that, that sort of looms over this game. Are they going to 2014 it again? Steven Gerrard. I don't, think they, Bar. I don't think they are going to 2014 it, but I think they might get Hazarded. Yeah. And if I was, if you know, if I if, if I was to, if I were to speak as a Manchester City fan, I would say that like Hazard is basically the is almost like the one of the most important people left to City's City chance of winning the title. Yeah, because City had to play Chelsea again, right? City have no, to play but like no, not Hazard, if if I can't see Liverpool dropping any points after tomorrow. In the Premier League, Liverpool do have the easier run, and someone pointed easier, out to yeah, me. Much easier. And look, Man City are favourites with with the bookmakers as well, which is kind of interesting to me because looking at that fixture list, once they pass Chelsea, it, yeah, it's it all should be yeah. And there's only you know there's only one relegation spot to be confirmed essentially, yeah. um, which usually because usually the relegation mixer kind of throws up some funny results and stuff. But when there are a few a lot of, des- of teams sacking it off, yeah, when there are fewer desperate teams, I mean. I was I, I I do our fixture list and choose who's going to which games and stuff. And I was some of the three p.m. the Saturday three p.m. games for the next few weeks are atrocious. You know, it's all because it's all mid-table clubs with nothing to play for, yeah. playing against each other basically. And it's like, wow, like do we even bother sending someone to Leicester versus Bournemouth? You yeah, know, like yeah. It, it it means nothing. So Car- Cardiff, Cardiff away, Cardiff could be down. So, I guess. Sorry, is this Liverpool? Yeah, this is Liverpool. Okay, Cardiff, so. Cardiff away, Huddersfield home already down. Newcastle away, already safe. safe yeah, and Rafa would obviously love them to win the title. And Wolves at home to finish, who should be pretty secure in seventh. Yeah, I mean, I guess if they're like pushing for a Europa League spot at a push. But, you know, it, it just seems to me that Liverpool actually are in a much better position almost than I realised. Um, I do think Man City are the better side, but... They've all got more points and they've got the better run in. So we'll see what happens there. Um, as ever, guys, thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you for your time traveling around this week as well. And next week, um, I think you're really going to enjoy that trip to Barcelona because it's just a really good we're, game. We're, isn't we're it? booking Calpep for Monday night. But what I mean, I didn't mean the food necessarily. I just meant being at the new camp for a big game when you're in that really high up on that press box That's Man it. United could come up with a big comeback if not you just watch Messi do his thing and it's no, it, should be, it should be a great I mean Matt Dickinson wrote a really uh, good piece for in the, in, in the Times at the weekend about taking his taking his son to go see Messi in the flesh and how it is you know one of the real um, even for a kind of an embittered sports journalist mm. you know somebody who, who gets paid to do this it's one of the I don't want to use the word transcendent, but it's it's one of the, the kind of the real special um, live sporting experiences. And um, yeah, without wishing to seem kind of you know mawkish or sentimental, uh, I I really really look forward to it. 
Good. Well, enjoy it. Uh, thank you for coming in, Jack. Um, My pleasure. You're going to so Turin. Gonna, I fly to Turin on Monday. Uh, I Then the game is Tuesday night. Then I'm f- getting a train to Milan and then flying from Malpensa to Manchester on Wednesday afternoon to do City Tottenham. Then come, coming back to London. Excellent. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to be missing the second uh, the, the City Spurs game. What are you doing? It's Sophia's birthday. Oh, no. Your, your wife's birthday. Yeah, my wife's birthday. Crikey. We're having dinner. Are you going to, what, are you, are you going to like a pub that will show the football? I, I think so, yeah. But it might, you know how long, you know how long birthday dinners are? There's like, I think there's, there's 10, 12 people there. These things always like drag on three hours. Well, fortunately, they, uh, maybe you can make the most of the 8 p.m. kickoff. You book for somewhere for like like 6 or 6.30, it'll be I, done I, in time for the football. We've had discussions about this. We're booking for seven. And then we've got the preview, obviously, for the 24th is the Manchester Derby, which is going to be a huge game in the title race. So, uh, without much further ado, because we've gone way too long, uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, thank you, as ever, to our sponsors, Beer52. Remember, if you want some free beer, you just have to pay postage and packaging. £5.95 postage and packaging. Beer52.com forward slash indie. As ever, sign up for Independent Minds for access to exclusives, interviews, events, and ebooks. And uh, we'll be back next week when we know the Champions League semi finalists. Goodbye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.